Welcome to Upgrade Engines with Scott Wozniak, where we explore the tools and tactics that drive improvement. If you're hungry for more and better, if you want to move past hype and discuss how, you're in the right place. Change really is possible. Dreams can come true. It may take a while, but you can upgrade anything if you build the right engine. All right, so this is an on-location podcast. I am at the lake house owned by the Miller's family that has so generously let me and my family and friends use it on and off uh, when it fits their schedule for, gosh, a decade now. And I'm here with Jonathan Crabb. Hello, everyone. So, yeah, we're having a moment. We're, we're actually on a strategy retreat, which is a whole other conversation we could talk about. But it is in October, and we are sitting on the back deck it's 68 degrees with a light breeze. Uh, it's fall, so leaves are just kind of dropping down. We're, and we're sitting on the back porch in some really comfy outdoor chairs watching the lake. It's, it's kind of awesome. It's great. Okay, so we're doing that. And then Jonathan says something. And I'm like, wait a minute. You're about to drop some really interesting stuff, and let's riff on it. And so I thought we ought to record that. So, Jonathan, what was the quote or thing? I'm going to put you on the spot. So, How did so, you say so it? So, the quote that we've talked about, um, and we've had internal conversations amongst, you know, our circle of friends, circle of close associates. I mean, associates. It's really lifelong people we're running with. And there was a quote that one of them um, put forward that I think really kind of captures something well. It talked about, like, the drive for accomplishment can be funded or fueled out of anxiety or fear of failure. And that works really well until all of a sudden it really stops working. And once <laughs> you, once it pushes into the red tachometer space, then it tends to break. And so I think there's a, there's some deep down kind of scarcity abundance mindset mm. thing that happens there where it's one of those things where I think this is an interesting um, Topic, an interesting thing to talk about for people early in their career, even raising children, mm. um, all the way to people who are in the middle game of life. Mm. In the sense mm. that the point at which your system stops working can be at any number of intervals. Yeah. And then the question really is how do you detox? How do you pivot? How do you move out of that? Some of it could just be mm. changing the situation to where the anxiety eases well, off. Well, let me go back. Let, let's, let's spell out a little of this. Let's play with it. Why does it work in the early days? I mean, I think that, I think that there are there are certainly the, the optimists and the pessimists. The pessimists would probably, probably call themselves realists. I was going to say, who never went that title. That's they right. would call themselves realists. Of course they do. Where they would say, hey, we always need to plan for the worst and assume that things aren't going to go well. And, you know, and then it's a matter of then hopefully they have plans for contingencies. Which, you know, if you are dealing with, uh, you know, real-time systems, if you're dealing with systems that need redundancies, nuclear power, utilities, uh, military, you know, the, the whole Jocko Willink talks about, you know, two is one, one mm. is none. Mm. Um, redundancies probably benefit quite a bit from backup systems, contingency planning, and then assuming the worst. However, I think once that is adopted as a mindset – to where things are going to fail. I think it can lead to a, a mentality and a mindset that is inherently scarcity-based. Well, and 
okay, so first I think why it starts breaking down is it's massively inefficient. Mm. If one is none and two is one for everything, you start breaking what's realistic. Um, mm. I need two houses. Mm-hmm. One, one is only one house. Well, how yeah. many of us can afford a second house just in case? I need two cars. That's right. Uh, I need two degrees in college. Just, I mean, like at some point, you, this, this doesn't work anymore. And, right. Right. But then on the other level, I think part of why it does work and then doesn't break is it creates a lot of activity. Mm-hmm. As in, when I'm scared, I've been in the place of my career. Yeah, right? yeah. I was to say this. I don't want to say this like look by down my nose at folks. Like, <laughs> yeah, I've yeah, lived yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. So I'm an Enneagram seven, and and I don't know if you know that piece, but sure. the Enneagram seven. Right? Yes, and it's all fun and excitement and low stress, and I'm the optimist extreme. However, if you really dig into it, what the dirty little secret under Enneagram sevens is? We are terrified. Mm. Uh, terrified of bad feelings, failure, shame. And so what we do is we live our whole lives trying to like, we just, that feels bad. We should just, we shouldn't do that. That that thought was unpleasant. I shouldn't think those thoughts anymore. <laughs> I'm just not going to, I don't, I literally said to myself in the early days, like, I just don't want to live in a world where that's possible. I don't, I don't want Enneagram 7s running our nuclear power plants. <laughs> yes. Like, I guess it feels too bad to me to think that we could all die if this that, was wrong. That alarm so, going off, not, I think I'm just going to like, it's, like, that existential risk, I'm not willing to face that. <laughs> so can we? Can somebody unplug that light? Because yeah, that's really yeah, inconvenient. Um, so, Ooh. so I'm getting better at that. Yeah. Uh, including partnering with guys like you who who help me see the other half. But yeah. having said that, underneath my seven is this fear. I I've even recently in the last year or so realized how much of my even my personal fitness. So you know some of my story. Yeah. Got way out of shape. Literally crashed my cars, falling asleep in the car, wasn't sleeping, wasn't eating right. It, hormones got out of whack. And so getting my body back into shape was a long journey. And I, I fundamentally changed my physique and yeah. energy levels. And you, you've seen it. Yeah, you actually were absolutely. part of the ride. I realized this year, at the beginning of this calendar year, 10, 11 months ago, oh, crap. Most of why I'm doing this is fear. Mm. The reason I exercise six days a week, because I'm terrified of being fat Scott again. Mm. Um the reason I track my food calorie by calorie is because I am scared of what happens when I overeat and what it'll do to my body. And my identity was wrapped up. Like I did when I when I got on the scale, which I weighed myself every morning. Yeah. I got on the scale, my weight went up. I felt bad about who I was. Mm. Now, that anxiety created some really good physical outcomes for me. Yeah, oh yeah. I lost 55 pounds, Absolutely. put on a bunch of muscle. So like 55 pounds is like probably 75 pounds of fat plus yeah, 20 yeah, yeah. pounds of muscle. Like it was pretty legit. Like, dude, I have a different body. And the realization was that I was coming out of a place of fear. And I think, and I think this is one of those things. I've talked about this and I've even written about it in one of my in one of the in the book that I wrote. And you know, it's fundamentally based in All right, so name the book in case so, you're curious. Yeah, yeah. I've got a I had a book that I wrote. It's one of those things. You write a book and then it kind of locks you in amber for that period of time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and especially a, when it's your first book, you're like, Oh, oh I totally first relate. Book. Every so author you, I so know you, relates. So you, we kind so of you, want to go back and unpublish yeah, the first yeah, yeah, one. So you could hit the undo button sometimes. <laughs> but it's um you are invited, and Jonathan Crabb. Which, by the way, for all your self-deprecating, it's a good book. And, I hope so. And one to be proud of, even as so. a first time out. So, but you're right. We learn in it. Okay. In it, one of the key concepts, and this is really kind of based in a parable that comes from the Bible. But um, they were talking about the way to destruction is wide, mm. and the the path to life is narrow. And I think a lot of people historically have said, like, oh, like 
it's narrow in the sense that there's only one way. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into the religious elements of it. Um, but I think there's a core concept there of, I think that, don't get me wrong, I am not saying, hey, let's throw the baby out with the bathwater and the faith element isn't important. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying all of that stuff is important. But I think the additional lesson that's there is to some extent we're called to live life intention hmm. in the sense that, the, the path is narrow in the sense that there's always going to be a certain amount of self-correction. Yeah, yeah. In the sense that you're going to usually go from, you know, whether it's uh, feast or famine, mm. whether it's not caring and being over-anxious. Uh, or, or on the other hand, being too sloppy and, and lackadaisical yeah. about right. things you should take seriously. Right. And so I think what we're called to in the path to life, I think, in a lot of ways, is to live a life in tension. Not tension as in... I need to be tense, but into being regularly self-reflective mm. and regularly saying, hey, am I holding this thing with the right amount of open-handedness and yet at the same time with the right amount of intention to it? So I want to be able to hold something open-handedly to yeah, some extent, yeah, but, but that doesn't mean that like I don't care. There's still intention to yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. So that comes back to our... It's almost like holding loosely. Yeah, it's like, you, it's hold, like you, don't, you don't hold it open-handedly, yeah, you don't, but, you, you, but you don't white-knuckle it. Yeah. Yeah, which, okay, if we're just going to use the physical metaphor, that works really well because if you don't actually put a little grip to it, it yeah. will fall out of your hand as you walk around and bobble right. and you'll lose the thing, That's right? right? But if you squeeze it, you can't sustain that very long. That's right. Like at some point, the muscles, the systems, you'll actually end up dropping it yep. because you wore your hand out. That's right. I mean, I've done this. I just did mountain biking uh, at the men's retreat uh, three, four weeks ago. Um, oh, yeah, you, you couldn't make this last one. Yeah. You've done a lot of these with me. Yep. But we went mountain biking, and I have to confess, like, this classic uh, hanging with royal guys. Uh, this name of the ministries, that yeah. the, the royal camps we were a part of. They're like, yeah, we're going to go ride some trails. We'll start on the easy ones. Yeah, they easy had ones, yeah. 10 to 12-foot drops. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, like, you know, near 90-degree drop could come back up. And I found after a couple of them— my hands were really, really tired. Right. Why? Because I was squeezing those handlebars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my life depended on that grip. When the truth is, it, like the extra hard squeeze was getting me no benefit. Right. It was actually making it harder for me and put risk up. So I had to forcibly make myself relax a little bit. Yep. If I let go of the handlebars, well, I'm probably going to wipe out. Yeah. And if I over-squeeze those bars, yep. ironically, I'll feel good the first handful. And yep. by the end of that run... My hands will be like cramping and, and I will actually not wipe out for the same. And I think, and I think what, what comes with that and what's interesting in that is that like life is a spectrum. Life is mm. not a, a interchange of binary states. It's not an on-off. It's not a super grip, no grip, you know, flippening. It's, yeah. it's, actually, it's, it's actually a matter of like there are times on that ride you better be holding on because if you're not holding on, then uh-oh – but then there's times also where it's like, look, you can't sustain that amount of pressure at that moment for the whole ride because if so, then then the next time you get up to that ride, you're going to be overexerted. So there's a time and place to be on a spectrum based on where you are. Yeah. And I think to kind of bring it back to what we originally said in the sense that like conducting a life of anxiety or scarcity works really well. In the sense that, like, if we keep it to our analogy, like, gripping hard all the time works really well until all of a sudden it really doesn't. Yeah. Which means the first several hills in this metaphor, you feel really rock solid yeah. and you're good, but but it doesn't play long term. Right. 
And so, okay, I think if we're going to talk about us and humans and work, right? A lot of us work our jobs this way. Yeah. A lot of us uh, manage relationships this way. We're afraid of letting people down. I think parenting is an interesting. I think a lot of parents are terrified. Uh, they hand you this living thing, and there's no manual, right? Yeah, yeah. It gets a little bit. I mean, if there's something to be worried about, we that, were just talking that about might this be the one last night. Like when you discover one of your kids has a serious peanut allergy. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Holy crap! Nobody told me. Yep. How do you do this stuff? And so the fear of that, on the one hand, you don't want your kid to die. Like, yeah. not like, ah, oh, well, we lost another one. Oh, well, right? Um, but on the other hand, you can't live in that fear. Right. Because what happens is while you might get external results, the internal systems are like they're losing function, right? Yeah. So my, my external grip's getting good results. My kids, I'm tiger parenting and I'm all up on their case and they look like everything's tight, but... The fear and me is putting in fear in them, which is going to backlash when they're teenagers. Yeah, Seen yeah, that yeah, happen a yeah. hundred times. And my work, right? I'm grinding, 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 but it physically or emotionally, it, it, it mentally, it is just like sucking the soul out of me. Mm. And so the external versus the internal is one of the things that this triggers for me. It's like, yeah, if all you're looking at is are the results working and you don't look at the the process, Cost. the energy, yeah, it's like what's happening to the the related results. Maybe then you'll say, yeah, why shouldn't this is the this is the strategy? Mm-hmm. And it's you know, we keep talking about this this way. It's a long game, right? Yeah. In the long game, anxiety is a bad motive. So here's what I've actually been doing this year. I think I'm finally doing it, but I've like really been praying about this. God kind of challenged me for my part of my faith. I feel like God occasionally puts a challenge on me like this. And I felt like God challenged me to say, do nothing out of fear. Mm. Only do this exercise and all this stuff out of a place of joy yep. and faithfulness. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is a good thing to do and I get joy doing it. Yep. But not because I'm afraid. And so literally this year, it's like if I, the only reason I'm going to go run, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, but the only reason I'm going to run is I'm afraid to be in that, that I would say, nope, just skipped. I haven't done this in like eight years. Yeah. I've skipped tons of workouts this year because hmm. I was like, I am not going to do that if the only motivation I have is fear. I'm going to have to figure out another motivation. Yeah. And talking you through that, what has been your additional motivation that you found? Um, Still work in progress, maybe? Well, so I thought you were going to ask about the results. I'm glad you didn't ask no, that question. Because no, no. the results are I gained about 10 pounds this yeah. year. Um, I, now, I'm actually finally, though, I've lost five pounds in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. It's a pretty big loss in a couple of weeks, but... In part because I think I'm finally starting to get back into doing things for the right reasons. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I am, as of the last, like we're talking two months or less, actually now back into exercising and doing some things more regularly, still not six days a week. Yep. But I think I'm doing it because I love the energy, mm. because I love the feeling when my body is healthy. Mm. It does act, in the early days, it felt terrible to exercise. My True. wife, who stayed in shape the whole time, like I finally was getting back in shape. And she's like, doesn't the run feel great? And I remember being like hands on my knees, side of the road, like, no, this feels terrible. Yeah. My life is worse for having exercised with you. Yeah, yeah. So for about three months, if you're starting from scratch, by the way, that's the experience. And finally, yeah. one of our mutual friends challenged us and said, me and said, dude, for three months, it's net negative. And if you aren't willing to push past that three months, you'll never get to the other side. Now, on the other side, you'll actually feel better after a workout than you did when you started. Sure. But, oh, no, no, that doesn't happen for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, that... That moment where I'm like, I missed some of that. I missed some of the energy. I missed some of the flexibility. Um, I mean, this is going to sound weird, but like I gained enough weight. My body's very responsive, weight, fat gain around the middle, especially. I carry mm. it all around my stomach. So when I gain weight, I mean, it's 
like my pants immediately within a week or two hurt. Yeah. And I'm like, I, and I have started noticing all the micro discomforts mm. that you get or and when I'm larger, I forget about them. And then I lose the weight and I'm like, oh my gosh, it doesn't have to feel bad there. That's amazing. I just assumed that's getting aged. No, no. So I want that good feeling. That's one of the motivations. Yeah. Um, and the other is honestly exercises because I typically do runs. Um, right. The mental space of like, I have enough relaxed space and time in my life that I can afford to go run for 30 minutes. Yep. That is, there are days where I don't run because I don't have time. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm just, I feel too rushed. And like, so part of what I'm trying to do is shape my life to where I can put 30 minutes into it. That's right. And it doesn't feel like I'm guilty because of all the other things I'm not doing. That's right. So all that to say, I think I'm finally starting to do it and the body's finally starting to kick back in and I'm starting to lose the weight again, but now with a different heart posture. But it has taken me almost a year to do this, the right activities for the right reasons. That's right. That's right. And look, these habits, especially kind of going back to what we had kind of kicked off with, these habits, when they start breaking, if you've been conducting them for a long time, Pivoting is not like, oh, just, you know, try something different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, not necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily that easy. We were just talking about your work when I get into those details, but how looking at potentially different roles in yeah, your yeah. organization is one of the options. Yeah. Um, and like anytime you get into new and the pivot and like what habits do you bring from one job to the yeah. old? And so, yeah, I say how that say we were just talking transitions, which really has come up. And those transition windows, to recap what we said right before I hit record, there's sometimes a, a detox, unlearning, yeah. like that transition is not automatic and easy. Yeah. And I think, you know, that goes into adaptability. And I think that unlearning has been one of the key goals that I've had over the last years because so much, so much in this world right now is changing. Like unlearning is almost as important as learning these days, mm, you know? Um, that's big. But yeah, it's one of those things. Like I think this is to We're not keep, trained to unlearn, dude. No. We, we're in fact we tend to mock people who change their mind. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, uh, absolutely. And I think th- you know, I think this starts touching on a completely different topic. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think that um, it is no small thing to change a model that you have that has worked well for you until it doesn't. Yeah. Um, and with mm-hmm. that, that is where you know. Flexibility, unlearning, all those things, while not only helping in changing models and pivoting, like just helping you better live in this ever-changing, fast-evolving world that we live in in 2022. But I think it's one of those things. We keep coming back to the hard work of living in tension Mm. and um, acknowledging a need for change and then being gracious during the change, which is, as we've said, many times easier said than done. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Upgrade Engines with Scott Wozniak. If you want to hear more of my thoughts on life and leadership, you might want to sign up for my weekly newsletter at www.scottwozniak.com slash upgrade. That's S-C-O-T-T-W-O-Z-N-I-A-K dot com slash upgrade. You'll get a cool quote, a deep thought, and a recommendation for something that I use and love. It's not long and it should be fun. The theme is similar to this podcast, but it's not the same content. And if you're a leader who wants to build a legendary brand, 
You can check out my company's website to learn how we can help at www.swazconsulting.com. That's S-W-O-Z consulting.com. Change really is possible. Dreams can come true. It may take a while, but you can upgrade anything if you build the right engine.